Well, as we go through life, we are often presented with different circumstances and situations. Situations that have little effect on our lives and some that have great effect on our lives. And those situations, there are sometimes situations that come upon us that can actually change our lives. Uh, the reality of what will we do with the gospel uh, when we hear the truth concerning Jesus Christ uh, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Uh, the truth that we're sinners and need a savior. Uh, there are times in our lives that are very, very important that will affect our lives and our eternities. And we're going to see one of those times today as we're going to see the presentation of baby Jesus. And within this presentation, there's a decision to be made uh, as the Lord is presented before us through the word of God. And so let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And we're going to be going through to 35. And so I want to share a little context for the book of Luke. Uh, This is Luke's inspired account in which uh, he says in chapter 1, after having investigated everything carefully and then writing it in consecutive order. Uh, Within that, the gospel of Luke is about the Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. In the first chapter, Luke presents the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way concerning the Lord Jesus, the Savior. And intertwined within this preparation of the forerunner, uh, this, this presentation of John the Baptist first, Luke also chronicles the angel Gabriel's announcement of the birth of the Son of the Most High to Mary a virgin who will conceive, and it's from this announcement uh, we go to uh, Mary's greeting of Elizabeth in which Mary uh, responds with her uh, soul exalting the Lord and rejoicing in God, her Savior. Then in chapter 2, we have the detailed account of the birth of Jesus, and we have the angel bringing the good news to the shepherds and, and uh, that a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And then in response, we have the heavenly host praising God and giving glory to God in the highest. And then we see the shepherds go to the manger and they saw it was exactly as they were told. And they made known uh, the statement that the angel had said to Mary and Joseph and Mary treasured these things. And then the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. And it's from this point we come to the presentation of baby Jesus, and we need to ask the question, what will be our response, or what has been our response? So Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 25, and let's go back a little bit for context to verse 21. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name uh, given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, the child, in the the child Jesus, to carry out 
for him the custom of the law. Then he took hold of him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence, he says, of all, of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own even your own soul, to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so with this in mind, let's go a little over a little bit of the immediate context that help, will help us understand what we just read. Indeed, in verse 21, we see that Jesus was given uh, the name that, to which both Mary and Joseph were told to name him. And this was right before he was circumcised according to the law. Verse 21, and when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name then was called, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And we know that name Jesus uh, is Yeshua. It means the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. Uh, We know the angel Gabriel had said, you shall call him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And so then we have this, uh, portion he's named eight days before the, and it's right before the circumcision. Now, at this point, we may not understand the way they did it, the Jews did it, but circumcision was contrary to what most people might think of. Usually it was done at home and it wasn't done in the temple. And it would be done on the eighth day after they named the child, as we see here in chapter one. Uh, it's exactly what Jesus' parents did here. Now, so they're not in Jerusalem yet. They're not in Jerusalem yet. Uh, they're actually at home, but things are going to change here. Notice he says here in verse 22, And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to the temple to present him to the Lord. Now, in Leviticus chapter 2, uh, the law required a ceremonial purification of the mother. Uh, after the birth of a child, and then afterwards. And then there would be an offering that was given according to the law. And so the ceremonial purification for a male child would be, uh, first of all, the mother would be unclean for seven days, and then she would not be able to enter the sanctuary for 33 days. And that would double for a female child, Leviticus chapter 12. And so you have at least 40 days that have gone by here uh, since Jesus was born before they go up to Jerusalem. So he has been circumcised at home. He's been named. And now they've waited that time of purification. Now they're going to go up according to the law to make, as we'll see, an offering, an offering. Notice what it says in verse 22. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, then they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They were obedient. They follow what God's word said. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so here, Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers 18 reveal that every firstborn was called holy unto the Lord. And that is, uh, at this point, they were set apart and they were to be presented 
to the Lord. And then a price, in a sense, would be paid. They would be, in a sense, there would be a redeem, a, re, a price paid or redeemed. Numbers 18, 15 to 17. And so this was a reminder of what God had done redeeming the Israelites from, uh, from Egypt. And we see that, that he had taken the firstborn during that final plague, uh, where the blood was put over the, on the, on the post, the Passover lamb's blood, and then that was done to save the firstborn. And so we have this reminder. So Mary and Joseph bring Jesus, 40 days old, into the temple uh, to present him to the Lord and to make an offering according to the law, to offer sacrifice, Leviticus chapter 12. And we see that in verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so here we have uh, from Leviticus chapter 12, and you can read that. And on a side note, obviously, if you read that, you realize that Mary and Joseph were not rich. They were not wealthy. And that's how we understand. We see that they're not wealthy because of the sacrifice that they gave. That was for those who were poor, in a sense. And so then Mary and Joseph, being obedient to God's word, have brought Jesus to the temple. He's about six weeks old. And then uh, look at verse 27. And he, and, and he says here, about six weeks old, look down in uh, verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple when his parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. See, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were carrying out the custom of the law. And look down even a little farther in uh, verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Okay? And so here you have Mary and Joseph being obedient to the requirements of the law concerning uh, the Lord Jesus. And that brings us to our passage. And notice we begin in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Here, the Luke, wa- here Luke wants us to behold, to take a look at, to, to pay attention, to pay attention. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and then he's described by God through Luke, inspired by the Spirit. Middle of verse 25, And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And notice he is a righteous and devout man, and God says this. He says he was righteous. God declares he's a righteous man. And indeed, we know from the Old Testament and from the New Testament that there are none righteous in God's sight, not even one. But Simeon is righteous. And obviously, because we know the only way one can be righteous is through a relationship with the living God, through the seed of Abraham, who was in his midst, as we will see, who would die for his sins, as they would look forward to the cross, believing God would reckon to him by faith as righteousness. And as we look back after what Jesus has done, when we believe in him, it is reckoned to us as righteousness. Simeon was a believer through faith in the seed of Abraham. He had forgiveness. He was righteous. That's the only way. And when it's manifest, obviously, in his behavior. He was an Old Testament saint by faith in the same Jesus that he would have in his hands right there, as we'll see. And notice he was also described as being something else. He was described as being devout. And this is an interesting word that only Luke uses it, and he uses it also in the book of Acts. It speaks of taking hold well. 
taking hold well, being cautious or careful. Cautious or careful. And certainly in a religious, uh, religiously speaking, it would speak of being careful and cautious in your walk. Careful and cautious in your relationship with the Lord. He was devout. He was devout. And folks, this is so lost in churches these days, and it can be lost in our lives. We become so so uh, uh, willy-nilly with the Lord. Uh, uh, Simeon was not that way. He was cautious and careful in his walk with the Lord. He was righteous and devout. And notice he was also waiting for Jesus, the Lord's salvation, that is the Christ. Look, it says, And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, he was, or you could even say looking for, you could translate it, waiting for, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, what does that mean, the consolation of Israel? Uh, well, this paraclesis, this consolation, uh, speaks of comfort. It speaks of comfort, the comfort of Israel. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel. And we see in context that there were other Old Testament saints that were looking forward to the comfort of Israel. In the context, as we will see, of redemption, of redemption. Indeed, the Old Testament saints, true saints, not the ain'ts, the ones that did believe, they understood about Israel's rejection, that Israel had rejected the Lord, and they were looking for the promised comfort that God would bring that would ultimately come through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 40, chapter verse 1, Isaiah 40, verse 1. And no doubt Simeon would have understood this and was looking forward to this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Right in the middle of your Bibles. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's and double for all her sins. A voice calling, clear the way for the Lord in the clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in a desert highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Simeon was a true believer who understood that Israel and Jerusalem were in sin, that they had not responded right to God's revelation. And he was waiting for God's consolation because God's heavy hand had been upon them in discipline. We see that. He was waiting for consolation. And within that consolation, it is through the Redeemer who would come, the Christ who would come. And we see that. So then, indeed, uh, later on, we'll even see uh, in the account of Anna the prophetess after uh, Simeon that she was uh, among those. She spoke of him, speaking of Christ in the temple, end of verse 38, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, you had those playing religious games in Jerusalem, doing their things. You had the Pharisees and all those people selling stuff in the temple and all this, this merchandising going. But there were a remnant of true believers who were looking for uh, the redemption of Israel. They were looking for the salvation that was prophesied, which would come through the Messiah. And we have the same thing with this man here who is looking for the consolation, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So then... 
uh, we have a small remnant and uh, looking for the one who would bring forgiveness of sins, true comfort, true consolation, as uh, we will see. So Simeon is a godly man waiting for God to fulfill his plan concerning redemption. And then notice, we see he was a spirit-led, submissive servant. This is a good guy. Uh, verse, uh, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man, this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, the Greek text is a little bit more, more clear. I think you could say it this way. For the Spirit, Holy Spirit, had been upon him and, and, or, or were on, and was on him continually. It was on him in the past. It continued on. The Holy Spirit was on, on him. So this is a yielded believer who believes in the Lord, who's waiting for the, the promised Messiah, and the Spirit of God had been as continually upon him, continually upon him. And notice uh, verse uh, 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came and so he came in the Spirit into the temple. So we have the Holy Spirit having revealed to Simeon that he wouldn't die. He was an elderly man. He would not die till he saw the Lord's Christ. The Lord's Christ. And so he came into the temple. And you might remember the Lord spoke in many ways and in, in, in many portions, and, and now He has spoken through His Son. And obviously, somehow the Holy Spirit revealed to this man Simeon that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. You see, that's the Lord's Messiah, the I Am's Messiah, the I Am, the great, the, the God of the universe. We have one God revealed in three persons, and He brings forth uh, His Son Jesus, the Messiah, the, the Christ, the Christ the promised Redeemer King who would rule but yet would need to suffer before the glories to follow. This is the Lord's Christ. This is the Lord's Christ. And our passage says, He came in the Spirit into the temple. Think about this. How much do you do things in the Spirit? How much do you do things relying on Christ, yielded to Him, allowing the Spirit of God to control your heart and mind and your actions, uh, walking by the Spirit, Lying the spirit, he came in the spirit into the temple. This righteous and devout and yielded man. Now we know in the New Testament that we have the spirit of God within us, and that we have a choice to allow our will and our desires to control, or to allow God's will or His desires to control us through His Spirit, to allow His Spirit. I mean, what the Lord say of you? They came this morning to worship the Lord in the Spirit. They came trusting, obeying, relying on Christ to worship in the Spirit. Would the Lord say that of you? And so then this godly man comes in the Spirit. And notice uh, later on we're going to see that he is also uh, reveals and understands that he is a servant of the Lord. This is a little farther down. Look at verse 29. Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. He, he's the Lord's bondservant. And this term bondservant, it isn't our usual word for bondservant. It's a Greek term, despata, which speaks of a master with absolute control. And that's what Simeon's calling himself. I'm one submitted to the master with absolute, he has absolute control over me. And, and now you've done what you promised so, so your servant can depart as you, as you had revealed. 
And so then we have a wonderful picture of a godly elderly man who is close to uh, departing to be with the Lord. Simeon is righteous, he is devout, he's careful in his walk, he's spirit-led, he's humble, he's seeking the fulfillment of the promises concerning Christ in regards to the forgiveness of sins, and he sees himself as a sovereign, a a servant of the sovereign one, the absolute uh, one who is over all uh, the Lord. You know, if you've come to faith, this is what happens naturally when you come to faith. It's only when stuff gets in the way. You know, when you first come to faith, we realize he's everything. We realize he's sovereign. He's, he's the Lord, and we want to walk with him. We, we want to walk in righteousness. It's only when our stuff and sin gets in the way, right? And we need to be careful uh, to encourage one another as long as it's called today, lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that we would be by virtue of Christ righteous in our actions and devout and those who are yielded to the Spirit of God like this man, this bondservant of Christ. What a picture. Now, would the Lord describe you? If the Lord was writing about you, he wrote about Simeon. The Lord was writing about you. Would he describe you this way? Or what would he say? Uh, that so-and-so is, is angry and worried and, and upset and, and fearful. Or would he say righteous and devout, walking with the Lord? Now, yes, we all fail. We all trip up. But I'm saying in general of, of how you are in your, in your life. So then we have a picture of a godly man. If that's not the case, confess and be a godly man or woman. God is faithful. It's all Christ. It's all him. You don't have to work it out. He works it out in you if you trust him and obey him. So then a picture of a godly man. Now look at, we have at this point, the response of this godly man to seeing the actual uh, Lord's Christ, the baby Jesus. Verse 25 again. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by this Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then look at verse 27. And he came in the Spirit uh, into the temple, and when when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said... This is the amazing timing, perfect timing. God's timing's perfect. And we see here that uh, he was waiting for the Lord's Christ. And he, it had been made clear to him that he would not depart uh, and, and pass away until he saw the Lord's Christ. And the, he was in the spirit, in the temple. And guess what happens? Here you go. He uh, then, as we will see, sees uh, the child Jesus, the child Jesus the Lord's Christ. So what does he do? How does he respond? Notice how he responds. He responds by uh, blessing God and speaking of Jesus, the Savior, uh, who is the Christ. And he came in the Spirit, verse 27, in the temple when his parents, when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thus thy bondservant Lord, let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. So here we have Simeon holding Jesus in his arms and declaring that he could die in peace because God had fulfilled his word and he had seen the very means in which he himself would be saved. What an amazing reality. Amazing reality. 
he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, Jesus, uh, who will save uh, his people from their sins. He could depart in peace, in peace. He says, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. You see, Jesus is the only means of salvation. He is the only means of salvation that God has brought forth. There is no salvation in no other name, in no other name. It is God who brings salvation through his son, Jesus. And the reason why he does so is because he loves us and because we have all fallen short of, uh, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so God would not leave his creation in its fallen state, but he would uh, come and take on human flesh. God, the son, take on human flesh. This is the Christmas story. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the, of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This wonderful reality. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. It's amazing. We have a conversation between uh, the, the, the Trinity concerning uh, the Lord Jesus taking on human flesh. Quite an amazing thing. Quite an amazing thing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. That's amazing. The Son is speaking to the Father. A body has been prepared for him. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is the Son of God, said, Behold, I have come in the role of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. And after saying sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first, that's the first covenant, in order to establish the second. And by this will, that's Christ coming, taking on human flesh to die for our sins, by this will, he says here, uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Tremendous, tremendous reality. This is what Christmas is about. It is about uh, consolation and redemption through forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. And so then we have this godly man, he led by the Spirit, and notice, he back in our passage, he blesses God. The term bless means to speak well of. Well, how does he bless him? By speaking well of him, by declaring truth. Notice our passage. And he blessed God and said, this is after he took the Lord's Christ in his arms. And he blessed God and said, now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according, according to thy word, for thy eyes have seen thy salvation. He spoke well of God. He's seen the salvation, that the Messiah, that the Savior is in his hands. He's God the Savior in his hands, that very child, that very child. Tremendous, wonderful reality. It's Jesus that's the Savior of the world. 1 Timothy 4.10, for it is this, we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. 1 Timothy 4.10. Acts chapter 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, 
for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is through Jesus Christ. He is God's salvation. He is the only means of salvation. And this is what Christmas is about and is what every day is about, what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So notice he continues to bless him. He says, his eyes have seen it, the Lord's Christ. He says, he says, my eyes have seen thy salvation. And then notice what he says in verse 31, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. He continues with this six-week-old baby in his, in his arms, Jesus in his arms. And he has identified him as the Lord's Christ, as thy salvation. And he says here, which thou, speaking of God, hast prepared in the presence of all peoples. The term prepared speaks of being made ready. And it's in a Greek tense that means it's a done deal. It's already happened. It's already happened. Or literally in the presence or before the face of all peoples. So what's being said here? The reality that salvation is in Jesus Christ is not hidden. It is not hidden. It is before all. It is God who took on human flesh. It is before all. Salvation through Jesus Christ is not hidden. It has been laid by God before all through the gospel. And notice what he says about this baby Jesus in his hands. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now there's a bunch of differing interpretations on this because of the language and the original language, the way it's structured and so it could be saying a couple of things. So first of all, uh, could it be saying that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, one, and the glory of thy people, Israel, two? That's certainly possible, and we're going to see that. Now, this term revelation and glory are in parallel, which makes some believe you can translate it this way. Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a light for glory to Israel. He's the light that is revelation to the Gentiles, but also a light of glory to Israel, his people Israel, or the people Israel. I think the latter is probably more preferable grammatically, but either way, we basically get the same thing. We get the same thing. And notice, first of all, he is a light of revelation concerning salvation. And that's to the Gentiles, but ultimately everyone, as we'll see, a light of revelation. I read this before, but turn to John chapter 1, verse 4. John 1, verse 4. Jesus is the light. He is a light of revelation. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness to the light. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and he did, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And I read this passage earlier in the service, John eight twelve. 
Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I read this one also earlier, John 12, uh, 45 or 46. I have come, Jesus says, uh, as a light into the world, that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Darkness speaks of sin and death. Uh, light speaks of righteousness and life. It is where we have life through the forgiveness of sins, through a relationship with the living God. So then he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the light that, re- that reveals salvation to Gentiles. That's how Gentiles know about salvation. Now the Jews, as we're going to see, should have known about this Jesus. It's their glory. It's their glory, as we'll see. As we'll see, but many did not. He's a light of revelations, first of all, to the Gentiles. And God's word would make that clear, and the Jews should have understood that. Uh, turn to um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. I read this earlier also. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. The light will shine on them. You see, God's plan was not only for the Messiah to be for Israel, but to be for everyone. But to be for everyone. We see this in Scripture. God had made it clear that he would be a light to the nations. The Jews should have understood this, but they were, they were in their sin, and they were so... They were so uh, so uh, blinded in their sin that they saw it only for themselves. Look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who uh, spread out the earth, spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I also will hold you by the, my hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, as a light to the nations, uh, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, those who dwell in darkness uh, from the prison. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven Images. Isaiah 52.10, I'll read this for you. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Jesus is a light of salvation, a light of revelation concerning salvation to all the nations, all the nations. You see, the Messiah would not simply be for Israel, but for also the Gentiles, for, for, for the Gentiles. Take a look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verse 44. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Um, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly 
and said, It is necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it, and judge for yourselves, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. The word of Christ going out to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Jesus Christ, a light of revelation concerning salvation. He is the one who took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, and died for our sins and rose from the dead. He is the one, the true light, uh, who through his gospel enlightens every man concerning sin and concerning himself, being the light of the world, the only means of salvation. If you believe in Jesus, you will be delivered of your sins and you will receive salvation. So Simeon, inspired by the Spirit, understood that Jesus was the light of revelation uh, to the Gentiles. But notice he is also... The glory, end of 32, back in our passage, chapter 2, Luke. <coughs> he is the glory of thy people, Israel. You see, God had made a covenant with Israel, and he was their glory. Yet through their disobedience, we see that he departed, in a sense, from them. He, he separated himself from them. His arm was not so short that he couldn't save, but their sins had caused a separation between him and their God. We even see in picture form in Ezekiel that his glory departed the temple. <coughs> a symbolic manifestation of God removing himself in a sense. And then we see the glory would come and return in bodily form. We see here, and the word became flesh, John 1.14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So what is Simeon saying here? He's saying that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. <coughs> All this concerning salvation to this little baby, God who took on human flesh, who would grow up and die for our sins, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're studying this, and we're getting close to this in our study on Wednesday nights. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse uh, 7, verse 3, excuse me. And Paul says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Just as God said light be and light was in Genesis, he has brought forth his light through Jesus Christ and he has shown it in our hearts through the gospel, the glory of God in the in person of Jesus Christ. And here we have, behold, the glory um, of the people, thy people, Israel. 
You see, they should have known, they should have understood what God was sharing over and over again in the Scriptures, who it was pointing to, the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, when Jesus rose from the dead as he was walking with those dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. It all points to Jesus. Jesus would tell the Pharisees in John 5:36, "You search the scriptures because you think in them they have eternal, you have eternal life, but it is these that bear witness of me." So then, he is the savior of the world. He is the complete focus. He is the light of the gospel of the glory uh, here in the person of Christ. It is for all to see, for all to see. And Simeon is saying he is Indeed, this little baby is holding his hands, the Savior of the world, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel, the glory of Israel. Look at Psalm 98, Psalm 98, verse 2. You see, Jesus has been placed before us all, and we all, for all of us to see. Now, we can close our eyes, we can turn away. We can allow our unbelief to blind us. We can give Satan the opportunity to blind our minds if we don't believe. But he has been revealed first to the Jews, but also Gentiles. Psalm 98, verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindnesses and his faithfulness to the house of Israel All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Very clearly it is revealed. And maybe there are some of you here today who are in prison. You're a prisoner to your sins. You are a slave to them. You're a slave to your wicked desires. You're in darkness. You're blind. And your eternal destiny is separation and punishment for your sins. But it is through Jesus Christ that our eyes are opened through the gospel to our sinfulness and our need for him to save us. And that is what Christmas is about. God who took on human flesh to save, to save. So then back in our passage, we have the tremendous declaration and blessing of God as Simeon declares the glorious truth concerning this babe who's only 40 days old, who is the savior of the world, both Jew and Gentile. So we have this tremendous thing. So how do Mary and Joseph respond? We've seen Simeon's response, praising God, blessing him. What about Mary and Joseph? Now remember, uh, well, we'll talk about this thing, but look at their response. Verse uh, 33, and his father, that's Joseph, and mother, that's Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Now that's obvious through, through Simeon. They're amazed about what they just heard through Simeon. Now, remember, Joseph had already been told and knew that the child that Mary conceived was of the Holy Spirit. And he kept her a virgin and he obeyed the Lord and named him Jesus when he was born. Well, that's Matthew 1. He also knew the angel had said that you shall name him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And indeed, Mary, the virgin, had been told that that which was to be conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit, and that he would be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord would give him the throne of his father David, and that that for, for that reason the holy offspring would be called the Son of God. And she had been told that she is blessed among women, and the blessed of the fruit of her womb, Luke chapter 1. 
and she gave praise to God, her Savior. So they had been told also, they had been told by the angel, but also angels, but also they were told by the shepherds just 40 days earlier. All that had been told by the angel concerning Christ. And so now all these things, told by the shepherds, now all these things, 40 days later, they're receiving more revelation and they are amazed by what they're hearing. So what should amaze them? It sounds like everything they've heard before, right? No, there's more to it. What amazes them is that salvation is to the Gentiles also. He is the Savior of the world. He is not simply their Savior. He is the Savior of the world. They're receiving more revelation through Simeon, and they're amazed. You see, not only is Jesus the Savior of the Jews, he is the Savior of the world, this babe that Simeon was holding in his hands. And they marveled. They marveled at that. They were amazed. Do you marvel? Are you amazed that God would become a man? That God would bring forth salvation through this babe? That he would grow up, God would take him human flesh, he would grow up, live the perfect life, and die for our sins and rise on the third day? Do you marvel about this? We should marvel about what God did for us. What God did for us. So Simeon has been speaking well, blessing God, declaring truth concerning this babe in his arms. And so now, notice, he also responds to seeing Jesus by blessing Mary and Joseph. Joseph, look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and as, a, as for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce, over, pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So the text says here, initially, Simeon blessed them, not speaking of Mary and Joseph. He's speaking well of them. And then he speaks directly to Jesus' mother, Mary. Now, verses 34 and 35 are very interesting uh, because so far in the Gospel of Luke, we've had only good news. Good news. But here we have some bad news. Many will fall in Israel, and there will be opposition and a sword. There's good news, but there's also bad news. Now, as we begin to unravel this, notice... He says the Christ child is appointed for two things. First of all, behold, the child is appointed, one, for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and then two, for a sign to be opposed. Sign to be opposed. The term appointed literally means to be laid. Uh, when Jesus was laid in the manger, it's the same word. He was appointed. He was laid in a manger. He was placed there. It speaks of being placed. And so here it says Jesus has been appointed or placed in a position that is going to bring about the rise and fall of many and ask for a sign to be opposed. It's a sign to be opposed. You see, in contrast to the Gentiles whom the Messiah would save, Israel would be divided and many will rise and fall because of Christ. And I believe he's speaking of the Israelites who would fall in judgment or rise in salvation, all because of their response to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you're either going to stumble over Jesus or be saved by him. There's nothing in between. He is the only Savior. 
Listen to what the Lord said concerning the Messiah to Israel in Isaiah 8. In Isaiah 8. Isaiah 8, 13. I'll read it for you. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear. And he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. But to the houses of Israel, but to the houses, to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble over them, and they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Specifically, I believe it points to their response to the Messiah. The response to Messiah. In contrast to the Gentiles who would be saved by the Messiah, these Jews uh, would either rise or fall, and it all depends on their response to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But to those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this very stone, this became the very cornerstone. And, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. You're either going to be saved by Jesus or you will trip over him to your eternal destruction. You will stumble over him. You see, Jesus will either be your source of eternal life or your rejection of him will be your source of eternal downfall. Source of salvation to those who believe, the source of eternal punishment to those who disbelieve, who do not obey the gospel. The gospel calls upon you to repent and believe in Jesus. You see, this has been laid or appointed by God that all should see and and do see. There is no name under heaven by which men must be saved. You see, Christmas is a wonderful yet serious thing because it points to the birth of a Savior, the one whom everyone which everyone is to be saved by or will stumble to eternal damnation by rejecting. Your response reveals your destiny. Notice back in our passage, he's also a sign to be opposed. Behold, this child is appointed, one, for a rise and fall of many in Israel, and for two, as a sign to be opposed. The term opposed, anti-lego, speaks of speaking against or contradicting It speaks of opposition characterized by rejection. So this babe would would come to Israel and be a sign to them, a sign that is characterized by rejection. And we certainly see that. Indeed, he was despised and forsaken. Indeed, he would be opposed and eventually crucified. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. He came to his own, but he would be a sign. He was opposed. He was opposed. We're getting close to finishing up, but turn in math to Matthew chapter one, Matthew chapter 21 and listen to this parable. Matthew 21, verse 33. Lord Jesus says, Matthew 21, verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. 
And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And he sent another group of slaves larger than that than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterwards he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. Then they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with these vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers and who will pay them the proceeds at the proper seasons. And Jesus said to them, did you not ever read the scriptures? The stone which the builder rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from our Lord and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but whomever whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus' earthly ministry was characterized by rejection. He was a sign to be opposed. You see, no one can be neutral. You're either for Christ or against him. You either receive him or you reject him. You either receive forgiveness of sins or you will stay in your sins and die in them. This babe in Simeon's hands was placed for the rise and fall of many and a sign to be opposed. So now at this point, Simeon makes it clear that this opposition would even strike home. Look back in our passage. He says here in verse 35, and a sword will pierce even your own heart. Now this is basically parenthetical, a parenthetical statement where Simeon interjects this before he finishes the blessing. Verse 35, and a sword will even pierce your own heart. This opposition that Jesus would experience would even pierce Mary's own heart, her own, her own heart. And I believe it appears to the grief that would, Mary would experience Uh, because of all the opposition of Jesus that would culminate in his crucifixion. Prophetically, Mary is going to experience this deep sorrow because of this opposition. Even your own soul, Mary, it's going to pierce it. It's going to pierce your heart. And on a side note, brothers and sisters, we're not going to go through anything like Mary went through because we're not in that situation, but we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. You know, if the world hates you, know it hated me beforehand, Jesus says. We know it's been granted to us not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1. We know those who are blessed who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There's going to be a period of suffering because of Jesus if we identify with him through faith. So then, after this parenthetical statement, notice um, we have Simeon revealing ultimately where your hearts are at will reveal ultimately. Jesus will reveal where your hearts are at. He says, to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed, may be revealed. You could say it this way. One version says it. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your heart, Mary, even as well. I believe he's saying your response to Jesus is going to reveal your heart. It's going to reveal your heart. You can't be passive about him. 
If you haven't repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, your heart has been revealed when Jesus is confronted before you or exposed before you. Today, some of your hearts may have been exposed. What is your response to Jesus? Do you believe you need him because you're a sinner? Because there's judgment coming? Well, God is gracious to reveal that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, today we've seen Simeon, uh, Mary and Joseph are at the temple. Mary and Joseph are presenting the Lord Jesus according to the law. And at this point, uh, Simeon comes across and the Lord takes that circumstance which he promised Simeon that he would hold the Lord's salvation before he died. And Simeon would say, thy eyes, my eyes have seen thy salvation. Jesus Christ, the light of revelation concerning salvation. Have your eyes been opened to turn to him today? What about those of us who believe? Do we marvel or do we just take things for granted? Do we marvel in what God did for us? Are we amazed that God would become a man, that he would grow up and live the perfect life and die for our sins? No one is neutral. You're either for Christ or against him. You either receive forgiveness of sins or you will die in your sins. And this babe in Simeon's hand was placed for the rise and fall of many, a sign to be opposed, and who would expose the hearts of each one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you planned from the beginning to send forth your son Jesus to bring about forgiveness of sins. Lord, we all were prisoners in chains of sin. And Lord, maybe there's some who are listening right now who are still in chains. I pray that they might recognize their sin. They might believe what you say about it, that the wages of sin are death but that they might receive the free gift that you give through your son, Jesus Christ. That they might cry out in their heart of hearts, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Save me. And Lord, for those of us who do believe in your son, Jesus, who have a relationship with you, may we not become complacent with our thoughts towards your son. May we marvel day in and day out concerning your glorious son who died for our sins and rose from the dead. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.